Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life. We all know that our finances play a big part in how we live our lives. In this podcast, the advisors from Foster and Motley share insights and information about investment and financial planning topics and how they connect to your life. The yield curve is inverting. Run for cover. Really? What does the yield curve have to do with the sky falling? Well, Ryan English and Sarah Conwell will explain the yield curve and the various arcane ways people interpret its shapes, slopes, steepness, etc. I'm Patrice Sikora, and I'm going to turn things over to Ryan so he can introduce Sarah and share why we have her as a special guest on today's episode. Ryan? Thanks, Patrice. Yes, with us today, we have Sarah Conwell. She's a fixed income portfolio manager here at Foster & Motley, one of our experts on the fixed income market. So we would like for her to provide some insight to you today. And we're going to start with the exciting topic of the yield curve. Sarah, what exactly is the yield curve? Yes, thank you so much, Ryan and Patrice. First of all, the yield curve, also known as the term structure of interest rates, shows how much yield investors receive for certain bonds that they're investing in. Um, importantly, there are two axes on a yield curve. The horizontal axis shows us the time to maturity in years, and the vertical axis shows us the yield, yield to maturity in percentage. There are different yield curves for different sectors, but I think the U.S. Treasury yield curve is a good place to start today. It's very widely recognizable, and it's often used amongst investors. So Sarah, the yield curve is something you look at every day in your role. And can you can you tell us a little bit about what the yield curve exactly tells us? Sure. So the yield curve actually shows us quite a few different things, but I think one of the most important aspects to understand is the concept of a term premium. So the term premium is a notion that investors should receive or be compensated more yield for the longer maturity of a bond. So that tells us that as you go out the yield curve, the maturity increases, but so do those yields. You're being compensated there. When you look at the yield curve, what are you expecting? What is a normal yield curve for our listeners? Yeah, for sure. So a normal yield curve is upward sloping. And again, that's due to the positive term premiums. And Sarah, you mentioned that uh, the term premium, right? So a two-year treasury bond does not pay the same rate as a 10-year treasury bond. Can you talk a little bit more about what drives those two different bonds in terms of the two-year and the 10-year? Yeah, definitely. So aside from the term premium, there, the two-year treasury yield and the 10-year treasury yield are both very important aspects of the curve, but for two, two different reasons, right? So the two-year treasury yield curve is very correlated to the Fed and interest, short-term interest rates or different monetary policy moves. For instance, currently, you know, with the Fed trying to combat inflation, they're rising short-term interest rates. You're going to see a positive correlation with the two-year treasury yield as it increased in tandem. Now, on the other, other side of the spectrum, the 10, 10-year treasury yield is really a benchmark for domestic growth. So as investors anticipate higher growth in the economy, you're going to see the 10-year yield increase and vice versa. If if expectations for, for future growth decline, you'll see the 10-year yield decline. Now, as a side note, it's also uh, good to note that the 10-year treasury yield is correlated as well to inflation. And how does this yield curve help you in determining what to buy and sell? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So as I noted previously, a normal a normal curve is upward sloping in nature. And, and one could say that might be steep, where an investor is being compensated for a longer maturity bond. Now, if that curve is flat, an investor is not being compensated and the term premium might, might be lower or even zero. So in that case, if they're not being compensated for a longer maturity bond, it makes more sense to stay short in duration while still maintaining a similar yield. And Sarah, sometimes the yield curve gets a little wacky. Uh, <laughs> in rare occasions, the yield curve inverts. Can you explain to our listeners what is an inverted yield curve and what it means? Of course. So in the simplest of terms, an inverted yield curve is simply that the short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates. Basically, what that means is that investors anticipate there's a greater risk to the economy in the short run and therefore require a higher rate of compensation. And the yield curve, it can have many different slopes. An inverted yield curve is only one of them. But how does the yield curve change throughout the business cycle? For sure. And this, Ryan, is like one of the most important aspects of my job is looking at the yield curve, trying to anticipate how it's going to look, what it looks like now, and what it means for investors in the economy at large. So the curve can look, like you said, look different at different points in the cycle. At the beginning of an economic cycle, as the economy emerges from um, a recession, investors anticipate higher rates of growth and the yield curve will typically steepen. Again, going back to that 10-year treasury yield being a benchmark to growth, as that yield increases, the, the curve will steepen. Now, later on in the expansion, the yield curve begins to flatten as growth moderates and prospects may weaken. And then when the economy begins to really slow down, the, the curve can become flat. And if it inverts, a, rece a recession will likely follow. Oddly enough, during a recession, actually the curve steepens again. And this is due to the fact of, we'll, we'll call back the two-year treasury yield in the Fed, the Fed will cut rates to stimulate growth and therefore steepening the curve again. We saw this uh, prominent example in 2007, 2008 during the great financial recession when you know, the economy was in turmoil and the Fed had to cut rates to nearly zero. And thus far, you've talked mostly about the term premium and how you should be compensated more the farther you go out on the yield curve or the longer you loan someone money. But there's another aspect and there's not just necessarily one yield curve. Uh, credit becomes a factor or plays a role in analyzing bonds. So how does the different credit quality you know, compared to the high quality U.S. Treasury market, how do you view credit spreads? Yeah, and that's it's a good point to pick up, right? Because fixed income market is large and U.S. Treasuries are not the only fixed income instruments. So basically, a credit spread can be used to determine the value of different fixed income instruments compared to treasuries. So a credit spread, by definition, is the, is the difference or spread between a risky asset and a relatively risk-free asset like U.S. treasuries. Now, U.S. treasuries are nearly default risk-free, so that spread can tell us if, if the purchase price is, is fair or not. For instance, the spread between those two yields, is that compensating us for the risk that we are taking above and beyond the risk of a U.S. treasury security? Now, I do want to explain a little bit about when I say default risk-free or relatively risk-free. It means that 
you know, debt obligations issued by the U.S. Department of the Treasury are considered to be nearly risk-free because of the quote-unquote full faith and credit of the U.S. government that backs them. So the U.S. has never defaulted on its de debt obligations, even in times of severe economic distress, like I was talking about in, in the great financial recession. So that's why investors typically term U.S. Treasuries as risk-free securities or default risk-free securities, excuse me. And staying with that theme of treasuries, can you give an example or talk a little bit about how Foster and Motley utilizes treasuries and client portfolios? Yes, of course. This is the most exciting part of my job, right? So first and foremost, they're easy to trade in and out of. U.S. treasuries are the most liquid fixed income investment. So it, it makes portfolio management and the trading process very seamless. And we can use those treasuries to adjust the average maturity in the portfolios and our exposure to different risks, in, including interest rate risk. So it also, lastly, it increases the net exposure to a risk-free asset, as I was explaining just prior. So there's many different ways we can use these in our portfolio, and U.S. Treasuries is an excellent way to, to gain exposure to the fixed income market. Well, thank you, Sarah. I think our, our listeners are going to find this very helpful on this unique fixed income topic. My pleasure, Ryan. And to that end, Ryan, how can listeners reach you? Patrice, the best way for listeners to reach us would be through our website at www.fosterandmotley.com. And the A-N-D is spelled out in our address. All right. Ryan and Sarah, great discussion. Thank you very much. For more insight and information, follow this Foster and Motley podcast about life and wealth. And please rate and review and, of course, share with others. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster & Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.